Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pillar Podcast, the podcast that brings you great Catholic conversation each week. I'm your host and Pillar Editor-in-Chief, and I'm joined by my podcasting partner and Pillar co-founder, the bravest, most courageous journalist I know, Ed Condon. Ed, how do? Uh, I'm fine, J.D. How are you doing? I'm doing very, very well, thank you. I'm doing well mostly because it's just a pleasure to be here with you. I don't think I say often enough or clearly enough how much I appreciate you, how much um, I, I appreciate you as a Christian, as a man, as a journalist, uh, as, a, as, a, as a prophet. Ed, I mean, all of us are baptized to be priests, prophets, and kings, and you have embraced, I think, in many, many ways, the prophetic vocation uh, of the baptized. And I just want to say how much I appreciate that. So I'm doing well because I'm with you, you know, and that's what, what greater privilege is there on Friday afternoon, really. Oh. <laughs> okay. I should explain. Um, this is our... <laughs> This is not the first attempt we've had at starting this, recording this podcast this afternoon, and this podcast recording is is following an extended conversation between JD and I about um, a, a series of stories about which we have different opinions on the order of priority and problems that we may face in getting over the line. And the conversation ended as it often does with JD getting his way. And... <laughs> We then tried to record the show, and JD wanted to then make it a point of humor to sort of rake over the calls that we'd had this long conversation, but I was wrong about everything, and he'd had his way, and I said, this isn't working, this is not good shit. It wasn't working, it really wasn't working. So instead, you've opened this by ironically praising me. I'm not ironically praising uh, you, I'm I'm praising you as an act of, I'm praising you as an act of of, uh, contrition for uh, anything that I might have done that has offended you or frustrated you. I just want to say... Uh, I just want to say that I really appreciate you and I really value you and I value your judgment and wisdom. And even though we did have a discussion in which you had one opinion and I had another opinion and I sort of did probably just keep arguing for my opinion until such time as you consented to it by nothing other than sheer exasperation, I have considered your points and I do take them seriously. And it is possible that I am going to... Um, even remember what some of them were at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm going to reconsider my view on some of these things. I've reconsidered right. my view. I doubt it. But anyway, moving on. How's your week been? My week has been, I have spent a lot of time this week. I'm digging in, in Ed, on a lot of issues that I, a lot of interesting stories that I have been kind of trying to dig into. Um things that I think matter in the life of the church that I'm trying to investigate and bring into the light. And it's been a kind of a strange week because some of them uh, I think are going to, we are going to make them over the line. Some of them, I'm not sure if um, they're going to get there. You know, one thing about our work is you uh, you put a lot of hooks in the water, so to speak, or you cast a lot of lines out and cast your nets to one side or the other, I suppose. And sometimes you catch a fish and sometimes you don't. And then sometimes you hook a fish and then you reel and reel and reel and reel and reel, but it still manages to slip away. I've been Reeling up three fish this week, or four fish maybe, and I don't know how many of them I'm actually going to get into my little, my little basket, my little, uh, my little, ba- my little fly fishing basket there. Well, we'll see. I guess it can be a it can be a long, patient process. But you know, um, while we have been working on that stuff, some very significant stuff has been happening in the life of the church. So we're going to talk about there's some stuff that not stuff that we brought into the light, but that just has uh, happened in the life of the church this week, and most especially and most significantly, the publication of the um, the new. The next document uh, for the um, Synod on the 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 Synods of Synodality. Um, uh, Sorry, I got tripped up there. Um, But uh, a document on that Synod on Synod on Synods was uh, released this week on, was it Wednesday or Thursday? It was on Thursday. Um, That uh, is a sort of, meant to be a sort of global synthesis of all of the documents which have come before it from dioceses around the world and then from 112 Episcopal conferences, all sent to Rome and then all synthesized by a group of people who met outside of Rome for a couple of weeks and sort of um, wrote one 45-page document kind of uniting them all. And that came out uh, just yesterday, didn't it? It did. And now it's supposed to, and I don't really understand the um, why, why it was chosen to do it this way because it seems, I, I, as I understood it was, the synod was going to go local level, diocesan level, regional stroke, provincial level or whatever, national level, continental level, and then the final sort of synodal assemblies in Rome beginning next year. But what we seem to have done here is gone local, diocesan, regional, national, then the the synod secretariat synthesizes everything into a sort of global 
summary document, and then that goes back down to the continental level for discussion. Right, that's right. And I, I, I'm, I was surprised by that order of doing things. I'm, I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I understand that choice. But I mean, there's a lot of choices I don't understand about the synodal process so far. And I mean, we, we've written a lot about, we've written a lot about this document this week. I think we've written something like six or seven things uh, about this one document this week. Which I mean, there's, there's a, a lot, lot to write about. There's a lot. To, yeah. It's a lot. It's a, there's a lot of words. Um, that we have written, and there's a lot of words in the document. There's a lot of words in all the synodal documents. So there's a lot to talk about, but I, I'm wondering when when a recognizable synod is going to begin is, is really where I am with all of this because we haven't had a synod. I mean, the, the the funny thing, the thing that struck me most about this continental working document that came out is what it claims to be and what it claims not to be. So it says it's not, you know, it's not a magisterial document. It's just a working document. It's not a final product. It doesn't produce answers. But then it says this is the census fidei of the people of God. Which is a big claim, a big, bold claim. Which is a bigger claim than, you know, saying it's a magisterial document. Like, right. it, 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 it's actually a, a way bigger claim. And Why is it, it a big claim? It? Well, because the census fidei of the people of God is supposed to be a, a, an ultimate expression of the guarantee of orthodoxy for the church. Sort of common consent or acclamation to some truth, which is a kind of recognized receipt of some element of the deposit of faith. Right, like when the church proclaimed the doctrine of the assumption of the Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. Like the it the authoritative proclamation of the church was met with the unanimous acclaim of the, the piety. Yeah, of, of the of, of the whole of the people of God. So there's that. I mean, the other thing is. Uh, the synodal, I mean, the thing is, it says it's not a, one of the things the the Continental Synodal document says, uh, very explicitly, says this is not the results of a sociological survey. But it kind of is. And I'm not saying that as a knock, like I'm not saying, oh, this is just a survey, you know, whatever. It's like, I, I'm not saying that. Like, I think that the, the stuff that has come out of the synodal process in different parts of the world at all levels and everything is interesting stuff. Like there is... There's good information here. There's good representation of different points of view here. There's there is stuff to be studied and learned from and responded to in all of this. So I'm not saying that to like just dismiss it and say oh it's a, it's a survey. You know, I don't mean that pejoratively. But there hasn't been any actual synodality going along with it, at least as the Holy See has defined synodality, at least as the Dicaster for the Doctrine of the Faith has defined synodality, because synodality is an internally consultative process that recognizes and incorporates the hierarchical structure of the church and the charisms of the various parts of the body of the church that in a synodal process, each member of the process brings their own expertise, brings their own charisms, all this, but also their own authority and their own weight to the process. And there is a, you know, a key role of all of that is the bishop at the at the in the middle of all of it, who exercises a sort of discerning and um, contextualizing, and ultimately is the one who gives the entire process legitimacy and authority. And through the diocesan phase, the national phase, all this this stuff, like not only have bishops not done that, but they've been told not to do that by the synodal secretary. They've been told, you know, your job is just to make sure that you gather. Um, the responses of people, although they don't call them people, they call them the people of God, which we'll come to in a minute, which I, I really have a question about, um, and record them faithfully, and then you know put them on the conveyor belt up to Rome. That's your job. Your job isn't to discern over this. Your job isn't to uh, isn't to respond to any of this. Your job isn't to chime in as the bishop from a position of authority. And there's been this sort of you know almost. Um, the way I the way I see the synodal process being discussed is it's almost like well if you are in a position of hierarchical authority if you have the charism of governments and teaching authority in the church if you are a bishop uh, or a diocese bishop or you know a religious superior or whatever else it's almost like well that's a disqualifying characteristic for the synodal process like you're not allowed to talk here and there's this whole sort of you know attitude that seems to be accompanied which is like the authoritative structures of the church are not welcome in the synodal process. And that's nuts. I mean, that's not that's and, and I, I'm saying this as simply as I can. That's not synodality. I mean, that is a thing. Like, if you want to say we want to have a, a sort of survey 
globally of the lay faithful. That's a thing. You can do that. But that's not a synod. Like a survey doesn't become a synod just because you say a couple of prayers. Like it has to it has to work in a synodal way. And a synodal and to call it a synodal way of doing something it doesn't mean you just say the word synodality three times and click your heels and it happens. You know, synodality doesn't mean a bunch of guys get together in a room in Rome and hold hands while they talk about the you know the reports they're reading from different parts of the world that's not what synodality means synodality is an, is is a a real ecclesiastical function it is you know when people say oh synodality is crucial to the church's entire way of being and self understanding it goes back to apostolic science they're not wrong but that also means that you have to do the thing that is intrinsic to the church's dna and present from apostolic times you can't just sort of invent a new thing and say oh this is synodality and I'm finding it all very weird because what we end up with is this sort of 2D image of the church in the the continental working document where it's like, well, we have all these quotes and excerpts and it's all sort of, you know, stitched together in different ways. And, you know, some people are concerned about liturgy and the Eucharist and in some cases the extraordinary form and others are concerned about the violent persecution of Christians and the horrendous rate of violence and martyrdom that they're experiencing in other parts of the world. And some parts of the world are concerned with LGBTQ issues and other parts of the world are concerned about polygamy. And there's no consensus about what, you know, what the right path is for those things. And then others want to see um, a better recognition of uh, the role of women in the life of the church. And others insist that the ordination of women to the priesthood is a, is a thing the church should be moving towards and others think that it's a closed subject. And there's just like zero commentary on it. And it's like, it's just this completely flat Polaroid of opinions. And it lacks the three-dimensionality. It lacks the depth and the nuance and the context, which would make all of this stuff properly synodal, which isn't to say this is right, that is wrong, this is in, that gets excised. Like you can have all of these different conflicting sincerely held call them what you want opinions aspirations hopes whatever pick your word you can have all of them in there and see that they all have their own proper value but the thing that puts them in their proper place in context and value is the discerning role of the hierarchy of the church this is well this is what the church teaches this is what the truth is you know it's not an opinion that it's sacramentally impossible to ordain a woman a priest that that's not an opinion it's a fact but there are people who don't see that, and we need to find a way of understanding where that comes from and how to respond to that in a way that recognizes both the truth and what these people feel. And and that's all fine, but that's what we're lacking. And so we've ended up with just, again, a, a kind of survey result. I think there are two two kinds of ways that the Synod is being talked about that I think are worth noting. One is the, the actual document yesterday does do what you say. It... Um, lays out what people have said from all over the place about various kinds of things. Some people think this, some people think that, some people think this, some people think that. And and as I said to you um, when you and I were talking about this yesterday, I actually think, okay, that is um, fine um, if the goal is to summarize the conversation that has happened thus far, summarize the feedback that we have gotten thus far. And it seems to me in a certain way that's what the organizers are saying um, their goal is. In fact, one of the drafters of the... Um, uh, Austin Ivory, who's a papal biographer and one of the drafters of the thing, said yesterday, um, indeed, the real element of discernment in the process will come when the bishops gather in October for the bishops part of the global synod on synodality. What we're going to get from the continental phase is more reactions to what other people have said and sort of what we think is most important. But the real discernment about which of that is sort of um, evocative in some way of what the of what the Lord is telling the church will come when the bishops gather in October and then sort of the Pope will make judgments subsequent to that October gathering and the October 20, 2024 gathering. So there, there's some recognition of that on the one hand, that what has happened to date is the collection of perspectives and information and the summary or synthesis of that collection and information. And on the other hand, there's a lot of talk about the fact that people come together to discern the will of God and, and, and hear what the Spirit is saying and those kinds of things. And so there's a sort of affirmation on the one hand from the synodal organizers and the text drafters that say, these people heard the will of God, these people said what the Holy Spirit was saying to them, but there's not an Episcopal evolve, involvement in that process. Diocesan bishops were not asked. In fact, in the Vadi Makum, the kind of handbook for this, diocesan bishops were said, just collect the information and pass it up. So diocesan bishops were asked not to sort of discern, what do you hear from your diocese, from the people who participate in your diocese, that seems to you to to speak to 
where the Lord is calling the church or what where the Holy Spirit is in the life of the church, those kinds of things, asking bishops to sort of um, exercise the charism, uh, that kind of charism of discernment, which is part of their part of their orders, part of their their moony, their functions, um, their the nature of their orders. There's not that, but there's a sort of lot of lip service about about well, discernment has been happening, and so it's kind of unclear. Who's, whose discernment has been happening if that discernment is not an ecclesial thing? Well, apparently the drafting committee has the well, one that's who's what I was assigned say, is then the itself drafting the role committee, of prophetic discernment over— That's what I was going to say. Is what's very interesting is, is uh, Ivory said, um, when we got together to—he wrote a piece in American Magazine about this that I found very interesting because he said, when we got together to write the thing, we were told many times that our job was not to bring our agendas, not to bring our ideologies, not to bring you know our own selves into it, but to just do as well as we could possibly do to synthesize what everybody was saying. And so effectively to be kind of an assembly of summarizers, right? This is what we think everybody is saying. But he also said, we tried to express what the themes were that kept bubbling up. Okay, fine. But we also tried to recognize which were the minority prophetic voices, as we said, the minority prophetic voices speaking there, and make sure that we included the minority prophetic voices in the in the report. I don't see how you can call the inclusion of our assessment of the minority prophetic voices in the document anything other than discernment. We discerned where the prof- what what the prophetic veins and currents were here, and so there is recognizably, just structurally speaking. The directions for the synod say bishops don't discern, move it up the chain, okay? And then the drafters of the thing say, or at least Austin Ivory said in America Magazine, we discerned what the minority prophetic voices were and we found ways to express them. And so the only kind of, even though there's a lot of just talk about discernment, we're all coming together to discern, da da da, the only kind of um, discernment of judgment that I have seen sort of exercised is is vested in the drafters. and um, And that is... Uh, highly unusual. I mean, it would be one thing, I suppose, if diocesan bishops were told, don't make assessments, don't make discernments, da da da. This assembly of bishops is going to do that. Okay, I, I guess, although um, what you have then is a kind of mega synod and not a sort of synod of synods, right? It, it, most diocesan bishops don't have a role, only a sort of small a number of bishops have a role. And it's true that it, most synods, only a small number of bishops have a role because the synod of bishops is just an assembly of some bishops called to advise the Pope on a thing. So I suppose you might say, well, the Synod on Synodality is effectively some bishops who will be called to gather in 2023 and 2024 to advise the Pope on this huge corpus of feedback that has been gotten. And that's fine. But I think if that's the case, there needs to be much more explicit ownership of that, that this has not been a discernment of all the diocesan bishops in the world. They haven't been a part of it. This has not been, you know, a discernment of pastors. This has been a discernment of this Synod of Bishops who's advising the Pope on what he should think about what this particular set of people who participate in the Synod had to say. Exactly. Right? I that, mean, that's what's happening. That, that's exactly what – and that's exactly my point is uh, it's either one of two things. Either we have what we keep being told we're having, which is a global synodal process, in which case every part of the process has to be recognizably synodal, and it's not. Or we're having a meeting of the Synod of Bishops next year, and that will be the thing that's properly synodal, and what they will be meeting to consider and advise the Pope on and everything is the results of this global survey. And again, right. one isn't – you know. Right and one is wrong. I'm just saying, but we, there should be a clear ownership about what yeah. the thing is. And I think you're right that the language, the language used about what this thing is, if you kind of boil it down and say, well, what is this thing? What's actually happening here? Then you see, okay, lots of people have been asked questions. Bishops have been instructed to file the answers upward. This committee made some discernments about what they think were the most important things that were said there. More bishops are going to give responses to that. Then some other bishops are going to talk about that, advise the Pope, and those bishops are going to exercise some discernment of judgment, and then the Pope is going to make his judgment about what all these people had to say right. to him. But, but this is why I, I got really quite annoyed about the way in which the wor- the phrases people of God and mm-hmm. yeah, census fidei were used in the Continental Working Document, because the people of God were not consulted in this process. The people of God is all of the baptized, and less than, as far as I'm aware— one percent in most of the places near me were consulted at best. I mean, the the participation rate was apparently higher in places like Africa. We know we talked to some dioceses where they said that, you know this participation was closer to twenty percent. It's fine, but worldwide, we were not at ten percent of the people of God who participated in this synodal process. Not that that's a problem, right? But don't call it what it's not. The people, the the small minority of people who participated in this sort of surveying work are not a stand-in, are not a representation, are not 
deputized as representative of the people of God. They're a coalition of the invited and the ones who showed up. And a lot Which of people again, were Which, is what it is. It is but what it is. it's not what it's not. But right. the people of God were not, in their totality, either invited or in attendance of this. In fact, it's... Very difficult to imagine any way in which that would be the case. Exactly. And so you cannot simply say, well, we it's a very broad survey sampling, therefore it's representative of the people of God. Like, no, that's not what the people of God is, and that's not how it works. In the same way that the Synod of Bishops, when it meets in Rome, is not the College of Bishops and can't be said to speak in the name of the College of Bishops, because the College of Bishops is a very particular thing. It is all the bishops of the world in communion with their head, the Bishop of Rome acting as a body, teaching either gathered in an ecumenical council in a particularly solemn way or exercising their universal magisterial authority in communion. Like the College of Bishops is the whole of the College of Bishops and not some part of it. And Which is can, involved, for example, in an ecumenical council. That's, the yeah, College that's of Bishops is the bishops in communion with Pope. Yeah, in an ecumenical council. But that's my point. Is A synod is not... The Synod of Bishops is not an authoritative representation of the College of Bishops. In fact, this has been very clear in canon law, in the documents that started the Synod of Bishops in the beginning. Da, da, da. Like It is not an authoritative representation of the College of Bishops. And, it's, and the people who participated in the synodal process worldwide are not an authoritative delegation of the people of God proper noun. And you can't call it that. And what they produced is not the census fidei of the faithful around the world. On the contrary, there's not a census fidei even amongst the people who are quoted in the document. Like they're the different samples from around the world and different um, Episcopal conference reports that are quoted. And, and the text acknowledges this are in contradiction to one another, that there's yeah. no consensus on how to address these issues. Like you can't say the census fidei is contradictory. Like that's, yeah. that's the opposite of what the census fidei is. Yeah. And so yeah. it throws these very important terms around that have definitions and have authority and have weight and just sort of, you know, like, well, they sound nice. And more importantly, they sound authoritative. Well, I think it's that they sound authoritative, actually. Yeah, I, I think it's that they sound authoritative. And there's a great desire to, among a, a certain cadre, I, I think, in the church, a certain set of voices right now, to baptize the thing that's happening with legitimacy as a grand sort of movement of uh, that's sort of transforming the church and a new way of the people of God speaking and all this, instead of just saying what it is, which is... um this is a thing that we did, which had some meetings, and all of it is sort of oriented towards advising the Pope, and then the Pope's going to give us some advice about this synodality thing. That would actually be fine. And I, I want to give credit, actually, to the organizers of the Synod on Synodality at the USCCB, because among those who have, I think, been speaking about this publicly, who have some official role in the thing or quasi-official role in the thing, they are, to my mind, the organizers at the USCCB are among those who have been most realistic about what the thing is, because they have said, look— we're doing all this. We have had these consultative things. We have had it at the diocesan level. We're having it at the continental level because the Pope wants us to get more in the habit of coming together to pray, to discern the will of God in the life of the church. And we're not especially concerned about what the document's saying. What what we think is important here is stretching this muscle of the common prayer and discernment um, in an ecclesial way. And we don't even think that this iteration of it in the U.S. has gone particularly well. I mean, they were clear about that. They said, if you have criticisms of this, we have criticisms of this. This is, We're sort of stretching a, mu a set of muscles here in order to kind of move them more often. I think that's a very honest and candid a, 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 a assessment of what this is. I think when people effectively say this is, you know, a, a new way that uh, the, the church is being transformed, it's like, well, yeah, what, a very small percentage of practicing Catholics have gotten together to do a thing. Bishops have sent it up. Some documents have been written. People talk about it. That's a new way of, quote unquote, being church. I, I don't know. I'm much happier to think. And I'm I'm perfectly happy to live with, and I think all of us should be happy to live with, hey, we need to get together and pray more in the parish, at the diocese, at the U level of the USCCB. We should be praying more. We should be hearing from more voices as the church makes decisions in an ecclesial way about what happens. All right, cool. I love it. Yeah, we yeah. should be. My family should be more synodal in that sense. But it's the uh, it's the anointing yeah, of the thing. But when the family is being synodal, the father has his place, the mother has his place, the children have their place. They don't the the, the family doesn't become flat by becoming synodal. It's like right. oh, we're all just no, the same because exactly. we have a radical equality in our baptism. And, and so. the same as the diocese or the parish. When the parish is being synodal, it seems to me that when the parish is being synodal, the pastor has some critical decision to make. What will we, what will be our evangelical priorities in the parish? What will be what will be the priority of our finances in the parish? What are we going to spend our money on? If the pastor says, "Look, I have to make practical decisions about what we're going to spend our money on next year," and I'd really like it if everybody would come and pray with me 
and talk about it. And I'd love to hear what you think. And we're going to spend a whole day. I'll tell you some stuff about the situation of the parish. And then we can even sort of break up into tables. And you can tell me, you guys can talk at your tables about what you see in the parish, what you don't see. Come back to me, give me some reports. And then we'll all pray about that. We'll put it, we'll put it on the altar and we'll ask the Lord to give us guidance. And we'll say, come Holy Spirit. And then I'll make some decisions. That sounds like an extremely sort of healthy thing, actually. It is. Called but, synodality. Yeah, that is. That is exactly what it is. But I mean, what... But that's not what. But that's not the same as saying... But that's not what's being presented in... That's in not what's being presented. Right, yeah. And that's right. what I find particularly um, upsetting, I mean, it is upsetting because I like the idea of a truly synodal church. Because, yeah. and I'm, I'm not kidding, like I, an idea where the entire body of the church is properly integrated and in communion and dialogue with itself is a good thing that is a healthy form of um, interrelationship for the church to be in. It is a dynamic form of living for the church, and I'm all in favor of it, unironically. But what the seems to be being proposed in the continental document is that this thing called the people of God, which is not actually the people of God, it means the voice of the lady, is constitutes a sort of separate authoritative prophetic body over and against the institutional church, over and against the hierarchy. And it's like, but that the people of God is not a coherent concept. It doesn't mean anything. The people of God as a proper noun doesn't well, it exist. it means something. It means the communion of the baptized. Well, exactly. But the communion of the baptized with the whole of the baptized, each according to their proper function. It's like saying a synodal family. It's like, yeah, the people of God means the bishops are the bishops and the clergy are the clergy and the lay faithful are the lay faithful and the religious are the religious. And, you know, everyone has their place and functions together. And so to sort of say, no, the people, we're redefining the people of God as this sort of, you know, list of grievances, this sort of demos of protest that comes out in these survey results. I mean, that that's not what the people of God means. The people of God means the church as a whole and in communion with itself. And you can't sort of set up this dynamic of, I don't know how to put it other than polarization of saying, well, there's two different kinds of cat. I mean, the, for the number of times that this document bangs on about the radical equality of the people of God, it seems at great pains to, to sort of divide the people of God into one camp and the other and say, well, the people of God are over here. And they're really concerned about the lack of a proper welcome for priests who have deserted ministry and shacked up with people and had children. And we need to worry about them. And then the other half is the sort of evil judgmental hierarchical church who just aren't being accommodating enough of that sort of thing. And I just don't understand how this is supposed to be coherent. I, I find it very weird. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot more to talk about that. And like, I that was a prophetic discernment. Like you were talking about how Austin Ivory apparently wrote this thing saying that, you know, part of the um, part of what the drafting committee was doing was to, to identify the prophetic minority voices. Like, I would like to know why the discernment was made that the prophetic minority voice that required several mentions in the 45 page document, presumably to the exclusion of other minority voices, was specifically for clergy who've abandoned ministry to get married and have children. That the that the parish needs to be more comfortable with them. Like really, that's that's the pressing it. That's a pressing. It seems like a very niche. It seems issue. like an incredibly niche issue to me. <laughs> and like you got like you really, we had a global synod to say that maybe you know we should maybe lay sized priests with families should be allowed to be electors now, or something. Yeah, it, it seems like a very very niche. It seems like an assembly of uh, of lay sized priests who want to be electors could write to the Roman pontiff and say, hey. We were wondering if you could change the decrees of laicization. Sounds to me like an association of laicized priests wrote to the synod and synodality. And yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we there's a lot more to talk about here. But first, Edward, a word from our sponsor. And this episode of the Pillar Podcast is brought to us by a new sponsor, which is a new project called Nove Arts Ordo. Uh, do you know what Inktober is, listeners, or Merry May? It's a kind of a prompt list of words that are designed to sort of spark your creativity and help you to create some new artwork based around a themed word. It's a, it's a kind of, um, these things like Inktober or Merry May are kind of like social media movements of communities of people who are all sort of doing the same creativity at the same time. Um, well, our friend Andy Cordy is launching a new project called Nove Arts Ordo this November uh, with the goal of teaching and learning more about the huge cloud of witnesses that went before us, the saints, with their checkered pasts and crazy lives and amazing miracles. Um, Nove Arts Ordo aims to sort of encourage 
creative Catholics to uh, engage artistically um, in a way that can be positive and fruitful and uh, impactful in people's lives um, with that gigantic cloud of witnesses. There are all kinds of ways to participate. There's a sort of full version, a light version, a kid's version for however you want to participate. It's a great project for schools too. Um, St. Paulinus of Nola, for example, wrote a poem about St. Felix and the spider every year. So Andy Cordy says, we can use our creativity for 30 days. Find lists for Nove Arts Ordo from Andy Cordy's social media at Andy Shaggy Cordy and use the hashtag Nove Arts Ordo so that Andy and other organizers of Nove Arts Ordo can share, retweet, and repost your creativity. Nove Arts Ordo brought to you by friend of the show, Andy Cordy. Uh, just to say another word on Andy's behalf, which you haven't, JD, which is he is more than a friend of the show, though. He oh, is Andy is more than a friend of the show. Andy is Andy's the guy who designed our own logo. And, listeners, if you're receiving Starting 7, uh, a new daily email news roundup from the pillar that you can uh, get uh, at PillarCatholic.com, if you're reading Starting 7 each day, Andy designed what I think is a really great um, and lovely and uh, and well-executed logo for Starting 7. Yeah. He is not just a friend. He's not just a friend of the show. I am also, um, I am also a customer of Andy's. Like, he does great work. That's right. Not just a, not just a friend, but a client. And Andy is... Um, so excited about this Novart Sordo project that he has um, chosen to sponsor this episode here at the Pillar Podcast. So hashtag NovartsPordo. Ed, we are back. And uh, what we've been talking about, uh, if you are just tuning in, I don't know how that would work. What we've been talking about, if you were not paying attention the first half of this podcast, is the um, Vatican-released working document for the continental phase of the Global Synod on Synodality of Bishops, which will um, next have what I just mentioned, a continental phase in which bishops and lay representatives and clerical representatives and religious representatives from all of the um, continents, and on each continent of the of the world, barring Antarctica, will um, gather together to discuss a document that aims to synthesize the results of meetings which took place in parishes and dioceses and were subsequently summarized in reports filed by Episcopal conferences. From there, they will offer their reactions to those synthesized reports in the form of a report, and those reports will be synthesized at the Holy See in order to create an instrumentum laboris, a working document, which bishops will discuss in October 2023 and October 2024 the synodal discernment portion, or as it's phrased in the language of this particular synod, the celebration portion of the Synod on Synodality, after which uh, Pope Francis will presumably write a document called an apostolic exhortation that reflects on um, the reports and reflection and reports and reflection and reports and reflection and reports and reflection, which have preceded uh, his reflection and his subsequent report. Yep. That's about the size of it. That's about the size of it. Okay, so what's happening here? This, here's another thing that I just want to talk about, if I can. Um, what we've talked about thus far is that this thing seems to not quite describe itself in a way that conforms to what it is, that um, the US, USCCB officials have um, described it as a sort of project aimed at encouraging more prayerful consultation, deliberation, and discernment at every level in the life of the church. Um, go ahead, Ed, do you want to say something? Well, I was just going to say, can we talk about the Holy Spirit for a moment? We can always talk about the Holy Spirit. Yes, of course. Because quite a lot of what has been related up to the Synodal Secretariat so far in this process is credited to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is said to be speaking. The Holy Spirit is speaking through the various, they're calling, I mean, again, it's confusing to me. It's like, are we saying that this is the Synodal part of the process? Because, you know, again, as you pointed out, Austin Ivory seems to be suggesting that this isn't actually the Synodal part. This is the information gathering Austin part. Austin Ivory said that this is still the, Austin Ivory has mostly said that this is the information gathering part, but he did say also that there was some discernment about the various sort of prophetic minorities. Okay, so this is what, but we prophetic, like the idea is that there's, there's, there's discernment going on, but it's not done by the bishops, it's done by a committee in Rome. And at least um, as I read it, I mean, he uh, yeah, okay. there's, you know, there's been all of these responses and we're not weighing one or the other or assigning value or judgment, but they're all fruits of the Holy spirit. And they you know, this contains theological treasures. Like that can't be true of all of them. And this is what makes the document to my mind, not a synodal document, properly speaking. It is a relatio of a survey 
which again is fine. I'm not. That's the thing that happens, right? I, yeah. yeah, I'm mm-hmm. not running it down by saying that. I'm just saying to be clear about what you know. Does it? Does it? And, waddle, and by the way, the like synthesis a of a survey, the synthesis of a survey, or the synthesis of discussions will always include a certain element of of interpretation, right? Yeah. Anyone who is appointed yeah, yeah. the relator will do some interpretation. So that the that the committee was having to both sort of tr- choose what to prioritize and also say these things were things that were not in the majority, but things that we think were worth sort of putting up for everyone's discussion. I that's I got no problem in, with in that. a process. Yeah, that's the thing that happens. Every every kind of reporting of anything involves interpretation, right? And barring, right. but the thing the, is that it's not the interpretation of the people involved that that this is being done with. Like they're not saying, oh well, the people who compiled the ports made some choices. And they made the choices for these reasons, and that's what we're going to work with because they made mm-hmm. the choices, and they've got the they're charged with discerning, you know, what choices to make and why and everything. But instead, we sort of say, you know, well, people are just kind of doing their thing, and they're doing their thing, and they're making decisions, and they're discerning this, and they're praying that, and there's and so what comes out is, you know, we're we're going to call that a, a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and it's like, well, ah, I, I that makes me deeply uncomfortable. Like you can't just say because you you know we. This was effectively a, a, a large consultative, globally consultative process. You can call it a senator or survey if you want, but I mean, I think one is the proper word and the other is the word that's being applied a lot. But you don't get to just then say, well, we're calling it the, it's all the Holy Spirit talking, that it's all prophetic. It's all, you can't just assign that kind of authority to everything that gets said. And yeah. to do so is actually excludes authentic synodality being done in Rome next year and in 2024. Because if you produce a document that is a synthesis of, you know, feedback that is internally contradictory, um, comes from all over different parts of the world with conflicting priorities. And in some cases, whatever the, whatever they're calling them in, in the, in the secretary, the hopes and aspirations or the ambitions and agendas. I, I see very little difference between the two terms a lot of the time, but anyway, for things that the church has taught definitively against and said it is a matter of tenenda teaching that you may not say this to say oh well, no 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 to 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 bring church teaching and you know the actual uh you know tenenda level teaching authority of the church into this is you are denying the holy spirit as though the holy spirit is speaking against the church's authoritative teaching like really that's that's what we're saying is going on in this synodal process. And for me, the, you know, if you say, you know, that St. Paul's, you know, test everything and, and keep what is good, I feel like that's, that is a key part of the synodal, pro- of an authentically synodal process is you take everything, which is what they've done a very good job of doing. And then you test everything and testing everything doesn't mean say, oh, well, this seems very, they, these people seem very sincere about what they want. So therefore that's from the Holy Spirit. That's not discernment. That's you know, weighting of the sample data. <laughs> that, that's what that is. And if you say that all of this enjoys the authority of the Holy Spirit, then when the bishops do come to discuss it in an authentically, recognizably synodal fashion in Rome in October next year, you're basically saying, well, you don't, you can't, you can't say this is right and that is wrong and this is value and that has less value and this is the appropriate context to hear this, but a different context isn't necessary for talking about this because now you're denying the Holy Spirit. And what you're doing is you're actually boxing authentic synodality out of the synodal process. And I, I just find it very, very off-putting. I certainly think all that's true. I think the frustrating thing, I think— for, Am I wrong? Well, I th- okay. Are you wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong. What we're trying to do is look at the texts— evaluate the texts on their own terms, uh, run them up against the, the other texts of the synod, like run them up against sort of the rule, the operating procedures of the synod and run them up against the texts of other things and run them up against the conversations that we've had, you know, on the record conversations with synodal officials of various kinds and say, look, we're seeing some real inconsistencies here and some uncertainty about what this is. And at the same time, we're seeing claims about what this is even by sort of a, even embedded in the text themselves, we're seeing claims about what this is that seem to be making the kinds of judgments which are, which, you know, are properly belonged either to diocesan bishops or properly belongs to the the Pope, which again is the Pope's prerogative. And so we're just saying, look, it, it seems like what this is and what this can be and what it has been are inconsistent with a lot of the claims about what it is. And that causes for us frustration, confusion, exasperation. 
I'm tr- we're trying to take it on its own terms. And I think the problem that we're running up against is that the terms, even within the document that came out this week, the document of yesterday, the terms are not always consistently and clearly used. Now, Ed, I guarantee you there would be people connected to the Synod who would say, well, you're thinking about this like a lawyer or, well, you're thinking about this like a Pharisee or, well, you're thinking about this like a man. You're thinking about this and, you know, I guarantee that there are people actually who would say that. Uh, but the point is, I guarantee there are people who would say, look, you're trying, you're pushing to us to be very, very linear on something where we're still allowing the spirit to emerge and where we're still seeing yeah, the these people are going to be very very clear when they come up with a document text that they want to see adopted all of a sudden they're all going to become very very lawyerly and say well this has authoritative weight and you can't question this because this is an authentic fruit of i think uh, that may well be the case at the end I, I but i mean the point is what we're trying to do is nail jello to the wall and it would be a different thing i think if the claim was we've got a bowl of jello and uh, we've got a bowl of jello, and that's fine because the Pope wanted us to get a bowl of jello, and then he wants the bishops, and we want, he wants to put a little more jello in there, and he wants the bishops next year to make recommendations to him about what to do with that ball of jello, and then he'll make a discernment about where the Lord is in the jello. What that would be a synod. Yeah. And instead, we have sort of uh, um, all kinds of things. The jello is a council, the jello is the movement of the whole, you know, we just have all kinds of things. And so it is uh, confusing. I think we just have to accept that's what this is, and. Um, um, I want to just talk about another element of it that it points to for me. Um, part of the reason, part of this response that I have seen to this, I have seen, I've been watching people's response to this, and part of the responses that I've seen to this is people confused by issues that are raised in the Synod. This has been, you know, I think I, we've sort of seen this before, but people who say, wow, there are ways in which the Synod talks about authoritarianism in the church, or ways in which the Synod document talks about um, laity, the involvement of laity or lack thereof in the life of the church that doesn't conform to our experience. Um, or there are people who experience a lot of, let's take involvement of the lady, for example. There are parts of the Senate document that say there needs to be much more involvement with the lady and consultation with the lady. And um, in parts of the church, there is practically no functional consultation with laity in structures of governance. There are parts of the church where lay professional collaborators in sort of diocesan administration are still un- mostly unheard of or entirely unheard of. Parts of the church where things like pastoral councils and finance councils are not functional or are not functional in the way we've come to experience them in the United States, where diocesan finance councils often are keenly aware of their roles and responsibilities and their, and, and are, are very open to calling the bishop or diocesan administration to accountability, right? So we see that, and when we see there needs to be much more involvement of the laity, we who come from that cultural context are like, wait a minute, when they say much more involvement of the laity, they must be talking about, like, supplanting the role of clergy, because that's all that we can see that's left. There's tons of involvement of the lady. If I were in the church in Senegal, perhaps, I might read that very, very differently. Um, but the challenge, I think, about this document, and, and it's it's the challenge about this document, the challenge about this process, and maybe it's a challenge about other synods as well, is that it's trying to it's trying to be a universal thing, but it's speaking to all these regional and particular problems. The church exists in so many different cultural contexts and realities that what might be said appropriately um, in in El Salvador is not the same set of issues that might be said appropriately in Tokyo, right? It's just a reality. There are different ecclesial, there are different cultures working against the ministry of the church. There are different things impacting it. And so it is good, I think, for each of those places to reflect on here's what we see the church is needed in the life of the church here. It is really hard when all of that gets mashed together and it's sort of like, well, here's what seems to be needed for the life of the church altogether because some of the things will not be relevant or will have a much different meaning in other contexts. That's why I think, honestly, whatever you think of the outcome, the notion of having a synod on Amazonia was a good idea. Hey, here's this extremely unique sort of region in the life of the church. Whatever you think of the outcome and the way that people talked about it and the thing, some of the things that came up, and we were there, we saw bishops saying, well, there's a bad situation in Amazonia and therefore we need to toss out Ordinatius Sacerdotalis. That's crazy. But um, whatever you think of the what the situation is difficult was, in, Am- in Amazonia, so we need to ordain married clergy in the Ruhr immediately. <laughs> Right, exactly, right? So, I mean, people who were bringing to it their agendas, but that were not even related. But the idea, we should have a synod for Amazonia is a good idea. I think some of the most powerful synodal documents that have existed to date are Ecclesia in America, Ecclesia in Europa, you know, the the Ecclesia series, which were the result of regional synods. And the, you know, synods in Rome, but focused on particular regions. And the reason I think that they were so powerful is because they could speak to particular concrete realities, 
I have always said to you, Ed, and you know I've always said this to you, that until the Synod on the Family in 2014, which was super controversial because we were going to talk about divorce and remarriage and communion and all the super controversial stuff, synods were things that happened where bishops went to Rome, sort of said some platitudes for a month, said different platitudes maybe. The Pope wrote a document that was kind of like, well, here's what everybody had to say, and then it went on the shelf. Synod documents have traditionally not been especially significant, you know, there are going to be people maybe who are offended by that, but at the end of the day, synod documents have not been especially significant in the life of the church when they try to say something to everybody about pastoral issues, because synods are usually focused, they're not doctrinal, they're pastoral, about pastoral issues that are by their very nature different in different places. You can't expect to have a universal document speaking into very concrete, an effective universal document speaking to very different cultural circumstances in which the pastoral life of the church has played out. Maybe you can expect to have some principles delineated. These are the principles for evangelization, pastoral care, catechesis, whatever. These are the principles which are relevant always and everywhere, and then they have to be applied in, in you know, particular contexts. And these are some pitfalls to look out for everywhere. These are some trends that seem to emerge everywhere. These are some local trends that might be helpful for everybody to know about because maybe this is coming to a neighborhood like you. But the idea that we can have sort of one universal document about how to address very particular issues of pastoral life seems to me to be self-defeating on its face. And so that's why I think there's consternation or misunderstanding or ambiguity about this text and and about efforts like this, not just this synod. Actually, I think this is a problem for global synods that that Francis's Amazonia didn't. Francis's Amazonia maybe had different problems, but this tends to be a problem for global synods writ large if they're not very constrained about the prospects of what they can do and what they can't do. I, I think that's true. I think it's reasonable. I, I hadn't. You're right. You you tend to bang on a lot about synods and how synods used to be and things. <laughs> Um, but I, I've not heard you articulate it in quite that way before. and I don't and think I, th- I have. And I think it's well said. Um, one of the things I was thinking about while you were talking was... Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my dear friend. Was that... Let's put to one side the sort of rhetorical fluff of this is a, you know, a synod of synods. It's not a synod of synods. That is... No, as it's if, a mega synod. Yeah, it's a mega synod. If, well, and the synod has not begun yet. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, mm-hmm. that will begin in October of next year. This has all been a sort of, you know, fact-finding, information-gathering, raw material harvesting process for the Synod that will be next year. That's, that's fine, whatever it is. But here's the thing. What is this all supposed to be about? It's supposed to be about, it's supposed to be a Synod on Synodality. It is supposed to be, like, this is what we were told, both by the Holy Father and by the Synod Secretary. It was just like, well, the, the whole purpose of this is to not just exercise the synodal muscle, but also to clarify through doing the experience of what synodality is, that what does it mean to say the church is synodal by nature, all that stuff. Yet that doesn't seem to be the issues that are contained in the... Because this process is by the definition of synod in a certain way in a regular synod. This does not, by its very nature, mirror diocesan synod or a metropolitan synod or a... It doesn't doesn't mirror any of this. But also the sort of... um, the selection of issues and um, topics that was selected to be included in the in the sort of relatio of this continental working document also don't have much to do with the idea in many places of what it is to be a synodal. There's a lot about, well, the church needs to be more welcoming to different groups, um, and those seem to fall into camps, the sort of practically marginalized, and those that I, I don't know how else to call this other than... Um, those who feel aggrieved about the church's teaching on sexuality. That does seem to be a thing. The, the, those are the sort of almost two, we now have two categories of the marginalized. We have the sort of poor refugees, the sick, the immigrants, the elderly, the, you know, and then we have people who are in same-sex couples. We have the divorced and civilly remarried. We have priests now who have deserted ministry and taken up with women. That is apparently now another. I don't even think we have to say that pejoratively. Priests who no, it's not. This is, this is, I'm, it's not pejoratively. I'm saying this is, these are the, these are the, these are the concerns and the groups that the continental face document. Polygamous marriages now are a, 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 an area of concern. And, you know, we did a thing on like why that's in there and everything. So again, I'm not. And being, it is a genuine area of it concern. It is a genuine. Again, I'm not being sneering about any of these things. I'm not. These are all, these, these are the sort of, um, sort of uh, categories of marginalization 
that mm-hmm. the that the document recognizes. And then on top of that, there are other um, issues like, for example, clericalism, and uh, is mentioned a lot. Uh, liturgy is mentioned, and all the and it's it it, it gets a sort of f- the the feeling I had reading this is like if this is a this doesn't feel like a global synodal process. This feels like a festivus synod. Like you know, I got a lot of problems, <laughs> and now you people are going to hear about them. And like you know, it's like, it's like a list of grievances. It's like, well, these people are mad about clericalism, and these people are mad about the sexual abuse crisis, and these people are mad about the traditional Latin mass, and these people are mad about women's ordination, and these and like and on and on and on and on and on. It's like, well, this is not. None of this is synodality. None of this is addressing the question of what does it mean to be a synodal church. This is just a sort of tell us what's on your mind and we'll write it down. And if you're really hopped up about it, that'll probably move it up the agenda. And I, like I don't, I feel like we're being shortchanged here. We were promised a, co- a dynamic conversation about the very nature of how the church relates to itself, and what we seem to have got is a is a sort of protest charge sheet in a lot of places. And I am I wrong? Like this, I feel like that's that's not what we were promised. It's certainly, the, certainly, you know, when the document, the angle of our co- of our initial coverage of the Synod on Synodality report was that the um, the document was calling for structural reform. Uh, arguably, that's most properly sort of the purview of the apostolic exhortation on the Synod of Synodality to say, to, to make it the judgment of the pontiff. Hey, in my judgment, after hearing all of this, what I've really decided is we need to like get more serious about prayerful, deliberative consultation um, and conversation in a prayerful discourse in order to discern the will of God. And, and if the Holy Father does does decide that, I will agree with him. I mean, I, yeah, right. I mean, I, I'm. <laughs> it has frequently been um, to my consternation that consultation is looked at as a perfunctory matter in the places where it is required in the life of the church. And it seems to me that m- and more it's viewed as a surrogate s- for democracy right. and and um, and deliberative votes in other places. I think a lot of the problems that. Are, have been highlighted a lot of the the grievances that have been highlighted in the in the synodal consultation so far, and also, I think a lot of the problems in in the institutional church that we see very often are part of we have lost any respect for the notion of consultation. Mm-hmm. That on the one side there's the idea, well, it's merely consultative, so it means I don't have to do anything with this at all. I don't really have to listen because in the end I don't have to pay attention because it's just merely consultation. And on the other hand, it's, well, for consultation to really matter and work, we have to make it deliberative. We can't just be consulted. We have to have binding say. And that's kind of the German model, if you like, of, you know, it's like it's not enough that we be consulted. We have to have an oversight committee that will, you know, be able to pass binding resolutions that the bishops commit themselves to adopting and da 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 and you know, on the other side, it's like, well, I know I'm supposed to consult with my presbyteral councils, but you know what? The, you know, they're gonna they're gonna have to say yes anyway, no matter what, because they don't actually get a deliberative vote. So whatever, I'll send them a memo, and that's fine. Um, and we've really lost the idea of authentic consultation. We've lost any value on the sense of authentic consultation and what that means and what it looks like. And I think that has injected a lot of problems into into the synodal consultative process because a synod is a consultative process that the convening authority is the only one who has deliberative authority in this case it's the holy father um and in the diocesan synod it's the diocesan bishop etc 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 but i think because of that we've turned it into well consultation has to mean pushing as hard as possible to make it look like we've made the decision for the convening authority otherwise it's not you know authentic consultation only matters if the advice is taken. And so it becomes this sort of conflictual zero-sum game of, well, we have to have women's ordination. And any final document that doesn't call for at least ordination of women to the diaconate is therefore, um, you know, they haven't listened to the consultation. Or the other way of saying, you know, well, we weren't consulted because we disagree with this papal act on the liturgy and we want that repealed. And if that's not, you know, recognized and and gone along with it. We haven't really been consulted. We haven't been heard because to be heard is to be listened to and to do what we say. And I think because of that, we lose the ability to, and also from the hierarchy of the church, like the to lose the sense of what it is to truly consult someone means you have to, you do have to hear them. You have to, and this is what we were saying earlier about all of the voices that have participated in this sort of survey phase of the synod, I think have value. They don't have the same value. The persons have equal dignity, but the Points may not have the same. Yeah. Well, they, all persons have equal dignity, but also the things that they're articulating all have value. Like even if, you know, as I said, if if someone is articulating the sincerely held belief that 
the church should attempt to do something that is sacramentally impossible. That doesn't make them right, but it doesn't mean their contribution has zero value. The church is And actually, to... if a lot of people are saying that, the church should most definitively hear that because if nothing else, we should hear, wow, a lot of people don't, for example, know about Ordinatio Sacerdotalis or agree with Ordinatio Sacerdotalis. Or or understand why the church teaches what it does on sacramental ordination. When Pew did a synod on whether or not people believe in the real Survey. presence. <laughs> We're, we're not no, going to no. go the other way. We're not going to start referring to Pew as no, conducting synods. When there was the Pew Synod on the Eucharist, uh, back in 2000-whatever it was, when Pew did a synod on the Eucharist and it learned that many Catholics don't believe in the real presence, the bishop said, hey, this is extremely useful. Those voices have value. We can use it. Um, and, and they said, so let's develop a pastoral plan in response to it. The reason I was super enthusiastic about the synod on synodality in early phases was because I kept saying, if bishops learn a lot about what people think— they can make great pastoral plans. And yes. maybe you're allergic to pastoral plans, but you have to make them. If bishops learn in one form or another, even if your pastoral plan is make go and make disciples of all nations, that's a pastoral plan. If bishops know what people think, they can know how to engage with those people. Yes. Right? And then they could probe a little more. You know, I had an interesting conversation with somebody recently. Did the Pew data indicate that—it was Archbishop Thompson of, of Indianapolis. Did the Pew data indicate that people— didn't agree with what the church said or that they didn't know what the church said. And then maybe they really thought, yeah, I'm with the church. And I think that the church says the Eucharist is a symbol. And are there places where that could be your presumption even after years of mass going? That's super interesting to know about. And would that pew have drilled down on it all the more? There's a ton of value there, but not the kind of value that says, it's not always the kind of value that says the problem that they say we have is indeed the problem that we have. It may be that we have a different problem. And exactly. it conveys that. To, yeah. And that's what I'm saying is that this is what – this is also – so if we have all of these problems of like if you don't do what I say, then I haven't been properly consulted. The reverse of that is to say, well, if I make any – you know, if I don't make a qualitative judgment about what I'm hearing and put it in its proper context and place, then you haven't properly consulted people either. You've just sort of said talk and I'll write it down. Right, exactly. That's, that's not right. consultation. That's not listening. And it's authentic certainly consult- not the kind of – Christian discernment that comes in a community that says, "What should we exactly. do about it?" Explains it. Yeah, the, the, right. you know, there, there has. To, I mean, you know, it's funny. There's a line in the in the Continental Working Documents is something about um, the announcement of the gospel by by listening, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, that's kind of nonsense. Because See, gospel, I don't know. A lot of people say that's kind of nonsense. But what did the Lord do? Right? Half, what is the model of synodality? Half of the Lord truth. asked questions. Yes. Right? Oh, yes. the Lord is always asking questions. People say what they think, and then and then the Lord responds, responds to what they That's think. That's what I'm saying. Right? It's half. It's mm-hmm. half. And yes, you have to ask questions. You have to listen. The church has to ask questions. The church has to listen. That is an authentic um, part of consultation. Consultation being con- a constituent element of a synodal, a truly synodal process. But it's only half. There has to be a response. You consult, you ask, you listen. But then also you process that. You analyze what you're hearing and who you're hearing it from and what they're saying and in response to what are they saying this. And then you make a response to that. And you're able to put all of the different things you hear in their place and assign them their relative value and their relative status within the conversation, which is not to say some are higher, some are lower, which is to and say— And that actually says, well, this I is respect an apple, you this so much orange. as to take seriously what you're saying. Yeah. Right? But if I just wrote it down and said, well, everybody had something to say, yippee um, That's not consultation. I, I have not demonstrated respect to what anybody has to say enough to, you know, it, I don't know, Ed, you're married, as am I. It seems to me that if my wife had something to tell me that was important to her, and at the end of her telling me about it, I said, well, you have been heard. I'm not sure that that would really make her feel heard. No. So much as if I thought about what she had to say and said, yeah, well, I hear and you as saying someone this, who has really been married to J.D. Flynn for a number of years now, I can tell you that when you are trying to push me on something and I say, I hear you, and I have tried this, and I say, I hear you, I understand what you're saying, I want you to know, I hear you, I hear you, that is not good enough. Not until I have given in and given you what you want and said, all right, I agree with you. But, if you, were, but if you were the editor in chief and, and you said to me, hey, I hear you, I've been thinking about it, I get it, you're concerned about X, Y, and Z. Um, my decision is X. It's like, okay, well, we're in a hierarchical newsroom and that's the thing. Yes, As it happens, but that's yeah. consultation. I keep but... trying to give you the job of editor-in-chief, by I the way. And if you want to be one, you, you no, can be it. No, thank you. <laughs> that's fine. I am much... You you like giving your email address and your phone number to people and presumably because you like hearing from them. I am not that way. I don't want every random person on Twitter who's you know decided that writing 
comments on our pieces is their version of therapy. I don't need that. I, I like um, our commenters. I, no, I really, no, 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 on the I website. I mean, nice writing comment- us emails. I'm talking about oh, the green... Oh, well, I think we have a very nice community of commenters on our website. Oh, no, the commenters on our website. You know, Actually, the commenters we never on our website this. are subscribers. And, uh, yeah. and I think they have a very nice... You know, if you subscribe, then you're allowed to comment. And I think we have a very nice... People don't always agree, but it seems to me that there's often... Um, genuine substantive discussion there that i'm often and it is also people are genuinely speaking pretty respectful of each other yeah which i like i like Mm -hmm. but again they're all subscribers you see so it's a very (laughs) self-selecting group okay but here's but that raises an interesting point no but what i was going to say is a consultative process is one says i see you i hear you i understand what you say and and the decision i am making the discernment i'm making because of the role i'm in is this that is different to saying i'm going to keep saying this until you agree with me because we have to agree. <laughs> that that do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, you're making fun of me because I berated you earlier until you what I honestly should have done. Better leadership would have been, if I have to be editor-in-chief, I have to be leader, whether I chose that or not, better leadership would have been, Ed, I want your opinion on this. Here's your opinion. You tell me your opinion. I say, okay, I don't agree with it, but I was glad to have heard it. I'm going to mm-hmm. do what I think. <laughs> I understand. And at some point, if necessary, I would also say, okay, fine, we're going to take this to the board of um, we're going to take this to the board of Pillar Media and we're going to have a meeting which about us. it. And then we'll yeah, have a, which is us. Then we'll, <laughs> we'll elevate it to a different level of consultation. That's fine. But I mean, again, we're, you're, you know, we're, I'm being slightly ironic about us, but my point is real, which is authentic consultation doesn't mean I keep shouting at you until you agree with me. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I'll just listen to you and nod along until you stop talking. Like neither of those are, are authentic consultation. But the interesting thing is that authentic consultation often does breed consensus. And the example that I'll give is a, one it's that I've raised before. the Eucharistic Coherence document. The most synodal thing I think I've seen our bishops do here right Ever. here in, in, in America um, in the, at the November 2021 meeting. November 2021, is that right? Yeah, the October. November 2020. November 2021 meeting of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. The bishop started with an executive session, which they're going to do again this time, by the way. Um, the bishop started with an executive session of the meeting in which you remember the June 2021 meeting was the one online that was like, I mean, just no holds barred. Everybody was had to say their thing and fight, 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 fight. And then November, they had, they opened with a prayer session, so, uh, preached, uh, Archbishop Kurtz preached a homily. Then they talked about the thing. And then after they talked about the thing, they voted on it with near unanimity, an extraordinary kind of near unanimity. And people, all kinds of bishops said to me, we really did have the sense that the Lord was there. And a lot of them said, and some of them said to me, it's not that I necessarily agreed with the document that I ended up voting for, but I really did believe that that was an authentic representation of the consensus of our conference. Mm -hmm. Like, even if I didn't, like, even if that's not the document I would have wanted or have written, right. I felt heard. I was listened to. I was properly consulted. I spoke into it, and then it, yeah. and then the drafting committee drafted a thing, and then we voted on it. And I really did believe that it represented what the conference wanted. And and because of that, I could buy into it, even if it was, doesn't conform to my personal desires. Mm-hmm. And that you're right. That is a that is a that was some that was a bang up con- synodal. seriously synodal stuff they got up to. There. Yeah. All right. Speaking okay. of, Ed, we're going to have to wrap this up because we've been talking for a little while. We um, have. But uh, speaking of bishops' meetings, the uh, 2022 Fall Plenary Assembly of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops is coming up uh, uh, November 14th through 16th in Baltimore, the Inner Harbor of Baltimore. We will be there covering it, doing our news thing. But we also have a little event, don't we? A little something to announce. Well, we're having a we're having another dive bar live show, JT. And we're I having a dive bar live show. It's our what did I want to call it? Our something 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 extravagant. Uh, I think you wanted to call it the Pillar Podcast USCCB Dive Bar Live Show Extravaganza. I looked it up. The Pillars Live Show Dive Bar USCCB Baltimore Extravaganza. There you go. Dun, so we're dun. having one of those. Yeah, and it's um, that I think is going to be great. We're going to have a great time, and we've we've learned from the experience. Of Minneapolis St. Paul, which Our was first a live show, which was a wonderful experience. The dive bar we went to in St. Paul was fantastic. The people who came were terrific. I I was even comfortable talking to people, which was really great. I you know we had a great time, wonderful time, and we've learned some things from that. So on this occasion, I have actually booked out the entire bar. Mm-hmm. We've got a whole bar. It's not it's not a huge place, but we've got the whole thing. Oh, we've got a bar. Yeah, we've got a bar. It's Todd Connors. I have been going there for several years now, basically during the USCCB meetings as a place that is just far away enough from the conference hotel that, you know, you sort of break out of the bubble. And it's anyway, it's, it's my kind of bar. Um, 
So we've booked the whole thing from seven o'clock. We're going to do a live show. We are going to do it indoors this time rather than outdoors. We are going to have some sort of... Well, it's November. Sound, yeah, that. And also we're going to have some sort of sound system. So we'll have speakers so that everyone can hear, hear really well us recording the live show. But we'll also have some community engagement, some synodality of our own, if you will. Uh, we'll, we'll, have, uh, we'll have, certainly have some games and we'll also have some... Uh, some, uh, some, just some fun. I, I'm, I've been, I was looking today on Amazon to find out how much a t-shirt cannon costs more than you'd think. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we'll need a t-shirt cannon. For I want a t-shirt cannon. We'll talk about that later. Um, and I'm sure that you'll convince me. Into it. <laughs> I'm shocked that you're not game for a t-shirt cannon all on your own. Well, we're going to get some, we've got to get some cowboy hats first, but um, it's just that they're really, really expensive. Like, uh, very expensive. Could you roll? Could you? Could you? What? How much are potato bazookas? Like, I feel like you could roll a t-shirt up into a potato-sized ball and then just eat a potato gun. Well, let's look into it because honestly, a t-shirt cannon is like five expensive cowboy hats. No, 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 that's too expensive. I feel like we could just get a potato gun and and fire t-shirts out of that'll be fine. All right. Anyway. Um. Okay. Anyway. But yes, so to the point, we're going to have the live show. We're going to tape the live show, and that's going to be great. But we're also going to have a sound system and stuff so that people can actually hear us recording the live show instead of us just sort of standing up and shouting across spaces in the hope that people hear us. But also, that will mean that we record the live show faster and tighter and better, and it will be a better show for people who are listening. At we home. have but done also, a lot of we have done a lot of internal review of what went well. What there's went. been some I mean, it was a great live show. I don't want people to think of, we've done a lot of review about internal review. We've watched the film about how we can we're, we're going to have a great time at Todd Connors is the point. Todd Connors Pillar Podcast Baltimore Extravagant whatever it is. Todd Connors November sixteenth seven o'clock Pillar Podcast whatever it is live extravaganza seven hundred South Broadway Baltimore Maryland Todd Connors November sixteenth seven o'clock be there if you are a friend of the Pillar. This party is for our friends. That's not a sort of subscription designation. I think it is a subscription level, but I just mean come if you're a friend. Come if you're a friend. Don't, if you're a jerk, don't come. That's right. And if, if, if you come and you're a jerk, I'll have you thrown out because it's okay. my party and I can do that. And I didn't book the whole bar so that I'd have to deal with jerks in the bar. Um, but no, what I was going to say is I, what I'm most looking forward to is not recording the live show. We're going to do that and it'll be fine, but we're going to do that as, as efficiently as we can because we generally want to spend time with people. Yeah, I mean, I think the like color I, is... I've booked the bar from 7 o'clock onwards. We are not going to record a multi-hour show. Like, no, I want I us think... to record the show in a tight hour so that we can actually spend time with people and have fun. And I'm going to think... bring... I have a couple of boxes of Pillar stuff in the basement that I'm going to bring. So, like, all the t-shirts and hoodies and stuff that I have left are just... I'm going to bring and people can have them if they want them and stuff. And Yes, we're going to give them out if we meet some goals. We're going to have some goals there. It's not a telethon okay. exactly, but we're going to have some goals. Right. If we meet some goals, we're going to give out some t-shirts, right? Am right. I right about that? Yeah. Not our plan? You're in charge. No, I thought that was your... Todd Connors, November 16th, 7 o'clock, 700 South Broadway, Baltimore. The Pillar Podcast, USCCB, Baltimore Live Show, Dive Bar, Extravaganza, at which we will unpack everything that has just happened at the fall meeting of the USCCB, and then we'll play some games. Uh, Episcopal listeners also welcome. Episcopal listeners welcome, and Episcopal listeners drink for free. That is true. It'll be great. It's going to be our great party. We're super excited about it. And uh, it'll be better if you are there. Uh, this episode of the Pillar Podcast is brought to you by hashtag NovArtsOrdo, hashtag NovArtsOrdo. And uh, NovArtsOrdo is a sort of artistic project based on the saints from our friend Andy Cordy. And you can read more about it in the show notes. The Pillar Podcast is a production of Pillar Media, Ned and JD Production. I'm your host and Pillar Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn, joined by my podcasting partner, Pillar co-founder and friend. Are we cool? We're very cool. Ed Condon. And we're going to see you at uh, the Pillar Podcast Dive Bar Extravaganza. And if you're looking forward to that, don't forget to become a subscriber to the Pillar because we'd be very grateful. If you want to sponsor the Pillar Podcast Baltimore Dive Bar Extravaganza, that can be arranged. That can Get be arranged. Touch. And sponsoring it means that we will have, we'll put up your sign, we'll we'll promo your swag we'll do all the things we'll, we'll incorporate it into the thing it'll be a great advertisement for your business or your apostolate or your revival like if you're kind of the person who organizes a eucharistic revival or some other such thing you know we could sponsor you could sponsor this and many people would be enthused about your thing and we'd work into the thing lots of product placement lots of fun exactly okay that's all adios